0: Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the podcast. It is great to be back after the holiday break. Our little winter hiatus that we had, but we're back and we're looking forward to another great season of the show. This is our one year anniversary. It was last January that we started the Homeschool Snapshots podcast, and I don't know about you guys, but I have been having such a great time with it. You know, I normally try to keep the episodes of the podcast to right around 30 minutes, but today we went a little long. (laughs) And I'm going to apologize for that, but not too much. Because this is a great show I think you're really, really going to enjoy it And when I got to talking to children's author Melissa Wiley About her special brand of title homeschooling I just couldn't stop So I think you're going to enjoy it And it'll be worth the extra 10 minutes that you devote to the podcast So with no further ado I'm going to get started with the show And we hope you enjoy every minute of it This episode is brought to you by SparkleStories.com. Now, Sparkle Stories creates original audio stories for kids and families. Their new website has almost 900 original stories, all of them delightful and funny and inspiring. They have stories for everything from holidays to bedtime, travel, and even stories to help with the fear of the dark or moving to a new home. And with a subscription to Sparkle Stories, you can enjoy all of them. Plus, there is a new Sparkle Stories app for the iPhone or the iPad. And this is wonderful because it's super easy for kids to navigate. Olivia has been using the app at night before she goes to bed to listen to Sparkle Stories. And I don't have to worry about her getting off into content That I don't approve of because it's only pulling content from the Sparkle Stories website. It's awesome that I have that peace of mind. Now, Sparkle Stories gives you an opportunity to try everything out, the website and the app for 10 days. And if you use the code HOMESCHOOL16, when you sign up, you get an extra five free days because you heard it here on the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. So that's a total of 15 free days, half a month to try out the Sparkle Stories website and the Sparkle Stories easy to use app and listen to some really great stories. So head on over to sparklestories.com to sign up for your trial and be sure to use the code homeschool16 when you sign up to get your extra five days on your trial. And now on with the podcast. Is a writer and a homeschooling mom of six who shares about her family and her love of literature at her blog, Here in the Bonnie Glen. She is the author of more than a dozen children's books. Her work includes some delightful selections for early readers, as well as several engaging titles for older kids, such as The Prairie Thief, and two series of books about Laura Ingalls Wilder's ancestors, The Martha Years and The Charlotte Years. Melissa uses the term title homeschooling to describe her family's unique style of education, which is characterized by an ebb and flow of seasons of intensive learning mixed in with seasons of more low-key self-directed learning. And she's going to tell us all about that today. So Melissa, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, start off by telling me a little bit about your family.
1: Well, I have six kids. My husband, Scott, is comic book writer and he writes children's books and other things as well. In fact, he is a wonderful writer about music. So he has a blog on the side where he writes all about um, music. We have six. Our oldest is junior in college. She goes to Cal Poly. And then um, going down, there's, so we have four girls and two boys, three girls at the top. So the girls are 20, 17, and almost 15. And then we have an 11-year-old boy and a nine-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy, although everybody's about to have birthdays. So those numbers are just about to be wrong. <laughs> and
0: they all flip pretty <laughs> it's soon. It's that time
1: of year. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about how you got started homeschooling. Well, when my oldest daughter was born, we were living in New York City. And while I was pregnant, I worked as an assistant editor at HarperCollins. And my boss Stephanie Spinner had a friend who had a book come out right around that time that was all about preschool options for your child in New York City. And I I you know this book sort of landed on my boss's desk when I was about 7 months pregnant and it completely threw me into a panic because I was like wait what? <laughs> this book it incur- like you had to know early. And that's the way it is in New York City. You need to know by the time they're two what your plans are because you have to start applying to nursery schools, to get into preschools, to get into the elementary school you want to go to. There is a whole process and it starts early. And people were asking me this question, you know, the baby was born and I'm still just trying to get the hang of diapering. Mm -hmm. And I'm supposed to know where I'm going to send her to school. (laughs) It It was baffling to me, but I had just gone we had just gotten AOL. I got my first baby and my first modem and my first book contract all in the same month. That was a big month. <laughs> yeah, it was a big month. <laughs> so I was brand new on AOL in 1995 and poking around about, I was on the pregnancy board and then the baby's here now what board. And I'm still friends with a lot of the gals from that I met on that bulletin board uh, 20 years ago. It's a little oh, crazy wow. to think about. And there was a homeschooling board. It was uh, run by Home Ed Magazine, and it was great. It was a great discussion group. And homeschooling was a totally new idea to me at the time. I had sort of heard vaguely the word, and I thought it was like for very sick children with, you know, autoimmune diseases Mm -hmm. where they could not be in school. I didn't know that there was this whole community of people who were just not sending their kids to school. And it was a really, revelatory notion to me. So I was reading this board and I subscribed to growing without schooling magazine, Mm -hmm. which was what, and like, that was like blogs before the internet existed, right? People would write stories about what they were doing with their kids and, you know, homeschooling their kids and send them into this magazine and you would read these stories from families all over the country. It was amazing. So that just completely changed the way I saw education and learning, it really jibed with my understanding of how people learn, how my husband and I learn best. So by the time Kate was six months old, I was dead set on homeschooling and I had talked Scott into it and he came to be just as enthusiastic about it as I was. So we really never considered sending them to school. I didn't have to do all the stuff in that book. It was good. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think people think it's hard to homeschool, but I think it's much easier to
1: homeschool than You know, it is. I tell people that when people will say, I don't know how you have time. I will say, I don't know how I would have the time to be a really good school mom. Right? Like that is a time commitment. I have one child who goes to public school. My 11 uh, year old son does go to school. He's a special needs kid. And there's this just wonderful classroom that he is in. He's been there for several years and he gets lots of services, OT and audiology and speech there. And it's just a really good situation for him. And of course, I'm all about, for me, education is about finding the way that you learn best and and the environment that you're happiest in. So this was a perfect situation for him. But having just one child go to school, I have learned how much paperwork is involved mm-hmm. and what a time commitment it takes to really be a dedicated school parent with meetings and school activities and fundraisers and then helping with homework. And when I tell people, you know, we're done with everything by lunchtime, <laughs> it blows their minds and they can't imagine that their kids, you know, that my kids have that much free time, that the afternoons are basically free, and that I myself spend probably as much time as a lot of parents spend helping their kids with homework right. or volunteering in the classroom or just, you know, managing all the stuff that is part of being a good, responsible school parent. I don't think what I do takes any more time than that.
0: Yeah, possibly. I I agree. I mean, sometimes, you know, just getting people dressed and lunches <laughs> packed and out the door on time. Right you know, that's probably a good third of our school day right there. So yeah,
1: you know, (laughs) right, exactly. I do think there's a lot of time that goes into it that people don't think of. They're imagining having to reproduce school at home, right? And a nine to three school day or eight to two or whatever it is, you know, they're they're envisioning having to provide all of that in the home when really it's a completely different way of living it's a whole different structure and rhythm to your day
0: yeah i think that is one of the biggest kind of misconceptions people have about homeschooling is that we are sitting here doing exactly <laughs> the thing at home that people are doing in school and it's it's not so yeah. yeah yeah well tell me about your homeschool day is most like which literary classic would it be a the odyssey b little women <laughs> C, Swiss Family Robinson, or D, Lord of the Flies? Uh,
1: <laughs> we definitely have some Lord of the Flies days around here. <laughs> that is a really intriguing question. I think probably little women would uh, describe us the best. And actually, I'm laughing at, at this answer because I, I often will say that jo- uh, little men is probably directly responsible for my having six children and homeschooling them. I think you could draw a straight. I I loved that book. And of course, Little Men is when Joe is grown up and she has Mm -hmm. a school in her house. Mm -hmm. She inherits that house from her aunt and she has her two boys. But then all these other boys are students there and they live there. And if you read that book, the way that they learn, they have their lesson time for sure. But they also have gardens and they have animals. And Louisa May Alcott was Sowing seeds in my brain long before I ever heard of homeschooling for a vision of what a homeschool life could be. Oh, that's so funny! So, so I guess my answer is maybe not quite little women, but little men.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, what was one piece of advice, um, homeschooling advice, that you received as a new homeschooling mom that was just like the best advice for you? Mm,
1: That's a really good question. You know, when I was reading those boards the Home Ed Magazine homeschooling boards on AOL, in those days, Sandra Dodd had, her kids were young. They were, gosh, probably younger, some of them, than my youngest child now. And so Sandra Dodd has written a lot over the years about unschooling. And also Pam Sarushian was on, on that board. And so there I am, this brand new, very young mom in my mid-20s, with my first baby. And I'm just, I'm not talking. I'm just taking it all in. I'm reading and listening. And those conversations were very informative for me. The breaking out of the, the paradigm of thinking of learning that had as something that had to come out of textbooks and workbooks and structured curriculum. And at the same time, I, I was reading The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding. And there's a little story in there. I, I think it's that book. I'm pretty sure. It's a story. It's like a little anecdote about a toddler, a woman, her two-year-old gets out the milk and pours herself a cup of milk and spills it, you know, that overflows and the milk goes everywhere. And the mom has this moment of starting to fuss at her, at this little girl, like, what are you doing? You shouldn't have been doing that. But she sees the look on her child's face. She was so intense. She was so determined. She was just going about this task and doing it. And the mom realizes in that moment, oh, I could ruin this for her or <laughs> i mm-hmm. could embrace this and this is an awesome moment where she is trying something new and okay so it didn't work out perfectly but it's easy to clean up it's really not a big deal so this is not so much of i guess a piece of advice that someone gave me but it profoundly affected my whole approach to motherhood and to education that right 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 i have to be willing to let them learn by doing let them explore to roll with the accidents when they happen mm-hmm to embrace mess as part of the process. And a piece of advice that I give often when moms will ask me, how can I get my kids to be more creative is, well, first of all, do you let them make messes? Do you give them a space that they can mess in? Because creativity is messy. You know, you need to be able to leave your work in progress out and come back to it. And the process is not tidy. And so I think that little girl with her spilled milk kind of directed me right down that path of understanding mess as part of the learning process.
0: You know, it's funny, even you're talking about it in terms of creativity, but, you know, in any kind of learning, I think the best learning happens when you kind of fail at something and you have to yeah. work past those failures and failures are almost always messy. Yeah. So if we're really wanting our kids to fail in order to learn, Then, you know, it's not going to be very pretty and it's not always going to be something that kind of meshes well with our own pride.
1: Right. (laughs) You know, and so
0: letting them do that. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The freedom to make mistakes with abandon without shame, you know, is the best way to master something.
0: Yeah. Well, what's a piece of advice you wish somebody had told you when you first got started?
1: Mm, don't buy so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just have a house full of materials that I have bought thinking we would use. I never use anything the way it's intended to be used. And I'm sure I could have saved hundreds and hundreds of dollars by not filling my closet with stuff that <laughs> we never used. So I don't know how you translate that into really practical advice. Oh, I don't. I think don't buy so much stuff is pretty practical.
0: advice. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, you know, it's really funny because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what is one thing in your Amazon cart right now? And as I'm going through my list of questions, I'm like, oh, I've got to ask her this question because you've had such an influence on us. I cannot (laughs) walk past a display of klutz kits without thinking, "Ooh, let me look at these. Melissa (laughs) Wiley says, I need these. And then, oh, you totally turned us on to the whole Snoopy the musical.
1: Oh, I love that. I mean, we sing that all the time. So do we 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 now. Edgar Allan Poe without singing that song. Yeah. But so anyway, you've actually...
0: Had an influence on some of our buying, but it's been good. It's been a good influence. <laughs> so, what is one thing in your Amazon cart right now? Well,
1: you know what? I will say this that on the not buying stuff front, one year, I'm going to, I'll answer your question in just a sec, but I'm backtracking just to a memory of a year that my oldest daughter was going into, she would be like fifth grade, and her good, good friend in the neighborhood who was homeschooled was going to school that year. So, that was kind of a bummer for her that we were losing her buddy. And that year, instead of buying any kind of curricula at all, I just bought games. I bought board games and arts and crafts stuff. And we had such a fabulous year. Mm. <laughs> so my cart is always filled with things like that, that I've kind of am eyeing for future gaming or um, fun. Right now, I'm looking at my cart right now. I have a book called Nature Anatomy. The Curious Parts and Pieces of the Natural World by Julia Rothman. I have been eyeing this book for quite a while. It looks really cool. It's fully illustrated. So she's drawn all these beautiful pictures of things from nature. And my daughter, Rilla, who is nine, loves she says she what she wants to be when she grows up is somebody who draws bugs for a living. Oh, okay. So I feel like this book is right up her alley. You know, Amazon's got their
0: thirty percent off coupon for books. I think it expires today.
1: Oh, I'm glad you said that. Oh, you're right. It's like no?
0: holiday 30 or something. I'm, just, I'm <laughs> enabling you. So go right you ahead. Are. Well, what goes
1: around comes around. <laughs> <laughs> I also have some cute little writing stationery in my cart because we've been doing a lot of snail mail lately. My son who is about to turn 12, loves writing letters. So don't tell him. He's getting some stationery for Christmas. Oh, we won't let him know. And I see my first human body book, a Dover children's science book. I've got stuck in there too. So always great things.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, fill in the blank for me. If my grown child blank, I will have succeeded as a homeschooling mom.
1: Is happy, is happy. Yeah, all I want for them is to find what kind of work and leisure fulfills them and to be able to immerse in that, whether it's making art or making science or making a home, any of those things, you know, is But what brings them
0: joy. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you this next question, and I know it's going to be really hard for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite family read aloud ever?
1: Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> OK, I feel like I need to pull the whole family in here to uh oh no I know what it is I know what it is it's by the Great Horn Spoon. Oh yeah I've heard of that one. Oh we it's so it funny. Now a close second would be understood Betsy and it's hard for me to pick between the two. It's also hard because Scott and I have certain books that he reads aloud and certain ones that I read aloud and I love to listen to him read. So um I'm inclined to pick from his list more than mine. But of course I have hoarded many of my own favorites on my list. Understood Betsy is on my list to read, but by The Great Horn Spoon, we make Scott read because he does such a great voice for the butler, praiseworthy. Really wonderful book. It's funny. You are just crying, laughing the whole time. Plus, it's really, it's very educational because this boy and his butler leave Boston and they get on a boat and they go all the way down the coast of North and South America and they round the Cape and they go All the way back up to um, San Francisco because they're headed for the gold rush. It's so good. Oh, good. Well, I think I had actually bought it
0: and had it on our list for After Prairie Thief. And we got sidetracked by Christmas. So (laughs) we did something else shorter. Oh, Half Magic was what we did.
1: Oh, yeah. I love
0: that one. And actually, we we didn't finish that before we started in on something for Christmas. So we'll have to finish that one and then we can head back to the other.
1: Speaking of Christmas, one of the very best read-alouds ever is the best Christmas pageant ever.
0: We are listening to that on audiobook. We started it today in the van.
1: I love that book. I remember my teacher reading that to us in school and just eating it up. Yeah, my kids are loving it. They're a
0: little taken aback at the naughtiness, but (laughs) (laughs) they are loving it. What is your biggest homeschooling mistake or regret
1: other than maybe overbuying? (laughs) Hmm. I don't know. I don't really have any big regrets. It has been such a great experience for us. I would say sometimes committing to activities that lasted a really long time proved to be difficult to pull off because I've got a kid with medical issues and just juggling the logistics. So I prefer things that are a shorter term commitment, like Six weeks or two months is a a better shape of things for us to commit to. Um, So is that like outside the home activities? Yes, exactly. Like I'm thinking of one year and this was when I was probably pregnant that year. So it meant I had a toddler and another toddler and, you know, everybody was little. But we signed up to do a really neat program at the art museum downtown. And you would go once a month and the older kids would go on a little activity tour with the docent and the moms would sort of hang out outside with the baby. So it was really nice. It was a wonderful activity. But I remember that by, you know, around month 4 or 5 of that, cuz it lasted for the whole year, I was feeling very stretched and unable to I just hadn't looked far enough ahead to know that mm-hmm. it would be difficult <laughs> 6 months later to keep on doing it on that schedule. So are so, you, are you a family that tends to maybe stay home a little more? We just stay home a lot. Actually, that's another piece of advice I give to people is we're We have plenty of social activities and, you know, we see lots of friends, but I don't overcommit to activities. I'm very careful not to do that because everybody needs our home time. And Mm -hmm. I think our homeschooling life functions best when we do have a lot of time at home. Plus, I work. I write in the afternoon. So that also lends some shape to how our day plays out. My husband is on duty with the kids in the afternoon. So sometimes, you know, if somebody's doing soccer or something, he'll be the one on duty for that. But my kids take group piano classes once a week. And they've been doing that for like nine years. I mean, not all of them, but as they get old enough, they start taking classes. So I've got three in three different classes right now. That's always one day a week. It's always in the morning. So it's a contained activity, but they see their friends every week for that. And then I'll do other activities where like I um, I taught Shakespeare Club for years. So that would be sort of eight weeks in the fall and eight weeks in the spring with a break in between. I do poetry workshops. Usually I run those for six to eight weeks once a week. So I, I guess I'm saying if I'm going to do sign up for an activity, I like it to be about you know a two-month span. We do Journey North every year, the Journey North Mystery Class. Do you know that activity? I've seen it on your blog,
0: but I'm not 100% how it works. So why don't you tell the listeners about it?
1: It's amazing. So Journey North is this website, and they have interesting things happening there year-round. But every January, they begin an activity called the Mystery Class. What they do is they have selected 10 classrooms of students from all around the world. And you don't know where they are and you're going to spend the next 10 weeks figuring it out. And every week they post clues. So in the beginning all of the clues have to do with photo period, how much light, how much daylight they have and you're charting it and you're able to sort of narrow down good guesses about their latitude based on are their days getting longer or shorter and You're also charting your own hometown as well. So you can compare and you can see, oh, they're way north of me or, oh, they're only a little south of me based on how close the lines are together on the chart. And then as it rolls on, they send longitude clues and cultural clues. So by the end, you have figured out these 10 mystery locations. So it's really wonderful. I run this group every year with a bunch of homeschoolers in our circle. And we divide it up so that each family takes one city. So they're sort of doing the math for one city. And then we all come together and do the chart for all 10. And at the end, we do a big reveal. We have now all figured out in secret what our city is. And we um, make food. Like we do a little research on the culture and find uh, traditional dishes. And we have a big potluck. And oh, that sounds awesome. It is the best. We love it. And so you're learning math, science and all
0: kinds of geography in there as well.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, just tremendous amounts. There's often one of the cities you'll realize is in Antarctica and you figure it out pretty quickly because they're having 24 hours of daylight for the first few weeks in January. And so it's a it'll be a research station somewhere in Antarctica and you kind of have to figure out where and which country it's affiliated with? So, oh, super fun! I cannot recommend it highly enough.
0: Well, we will put a link to Journey North in the show notes for this episode, so oh, everybody great. can okay. look that up.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit
0: about Title Homeschooling. I'm kind of laughing as I hear you talking about your six to eight week commitments <laughs> <laughs> because I know I'm going to ask you about Title Homeschooling,
1: <laughs> and I'm the I,
0: rolls in and out. I'm seeing <laughs> a pattern here. Yes. So tell me a little bit about what Title Homeschooling is.
1: Well. Title homeschooling is really a a term I coined just to describe how homeschooling happens in my house. And I think I came up with this, oh gosh, I want to say around 2006. So my oldest kid, well, I'm not not even going to bother and do that. Yeah, she was maybe 11 around then or, yeah, so my oldest would have been 10 or 11. I probably only had four kids at that point in time, maybe almost five. And I had, you know, I mentioned that I started out reading the homeschooling boards that Sandra Dodd was part of. So radical unschooling philosophy was sort of being formed in those years, in the late 90s. And I absorbed a lot of that. And a lot about unschooling really resonates with me. And of course, in those days, the word unschooling meant something slightly, I think, broader than it has come to me now, which is not to denigrate what it means now. It's just gotten a little more specific. But in those days, it described kind of everything that was happening in the Growing Without Schooling magazine where these families would write in about this myriad of different experiences that were education for their families. So I was very profoundly influenced by these ideas about putting relationship first and emphasis on joy and relationship and that there are many ways to learn and classroom textbook learning is only one of them and possibly not even the most effective. It's not we learn organically from the time we're born. We're learning side by side with other people all the time. And we learn very naturally. And then this sort of breaking it down into little structured chunks can be useful for many things, but it's not the only way to learn. And for a lot of things, it's not even the best way to learn. So I was influenced by that, but I was also really interested in Charlotte Mason and the notion of, a structured education that was based on really excellent literature. And of course that spoke to me hugely. Books are my thing. So, and art and music and her ideas about narration were very important to me. And I was trying, you know, I was getting started with narration with my kids and I can say that, you know, here I am these many years later. And I just, I think it's a wonderful method for retaining knowledge and for taking something you've read and, putting it into a form that you understand, figuring out what you know about it. So there I was talking a lot about homeschooling on my blog and on message boards and sort of working out my ideas at that time. And I realized that I kind of had a foot in both worlds. I didn't fit in totally with the unschoolers and I didn't fit in totally with the Charlotte Mason folks because I was a a little bit of a hodgepodge. And I realized that we tended to go in these waves of deep enthusiasm for very Charlotte Mason-like learning with structured days and doing a lot of reading and narration and picture study and composer study and nature study. And then it seemed like we would be great with that for two to three months. And it often coincided with the season. Spring would come or fall would come. And those were the two seasons when my kids and I just wanted to be outside. And we were pure unschoolers in those seasons. But unschooling, you know, you as mom, you're still working a lot. You're planting interesting things or experiences in the kids' paths. and Sometimes being... I think you work harder. <laughs> I agree. I think that you have to be really open to clues and have to be spontaneous and yet organized <laughs> about seizing the moment or making sure that you can feed this little spark so that it bursts into a flame or being willing just to go on these adventures with your kids, both in the home and out of it, you know, whatever the kind of deep immersion experience may be. So we would have lovely, lovely long stretches where I was taking my cues from what they were into. And this rhythm worked really well for us. I am a person who I, I do love to change things up. You know, some people don't like change and I just love it. I thrive on the beginnings of everything. <laughs> so a rhythm for our family that kind of sometimes I was deciding what we were going to do. And sometimes the kids were setting the pace or the topics, you know, for what we were exploring. It worked really well for us. And so I coined this title. It was like high tide is when I'm charting. I'm the captain of the ship and I have mapped out the journey and we are all on this voyage together. And it's fun. You know, it's we're on an adventure together. And low tide is like where you're walking along the beach metaphorically and just encountering things, exploring the tide pools, seeing what you stumble across. But you know, you you learn just as much from poking around in the tide pools as you do on your journey on the ship. And I realized that this sort of elaborate metaphor that I came up with to describe what we do helped me understand how I worked and how we worked, how my family worked, and that it's okay for us to be kind of a little of this and a little of that, or this sometimes and that other times, and to do our Charlotte Mason terms, and then to put all that aside and to do something that's totally different. And when I started writing about it on my blog, it seemed like the idea resonated with a lot of people, because I do think that our lives do naturally ebb and flow. And sometimes, you know, it may be family circumstance that is the change of the tides, You know, I mean, we definitely had seasons where we were more housebound for one reason or another. And that was a season that lent itself very well to me filling up the mornings with readings and things. And then other times you just want to be, you know, out and exploring all day. Right. And this is
0: one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about it, because I think it could be rather I think freeing is a word you use, almost empowering but definitely like guilt reducing for homeschool moms to say, hey, you know, we talk about November being a tough month for homeschooling and we talk <laughs> about February being a tough month for homeschooling. And maybe it's not so much that we're burning out in those months as we just need to recognize those natural title patterns in our learning yeah. and just kind of. And I think you talk about doing Charlotte Mason and unschooling, and I don't see why title homeschooling couldn't apply to Let's say you're doing classical homeschooling Uh and project-based learning, kind of ebbing between two tides like that, or, you know, unschooling, certainly that lower directed being one of them, but textbook learning being the other. Yes, Any kind of method, I think it could probably alternate with. Right.
1: I think the key is recognizing that we have the freedom to do that, that we don't have to keep to a traditional academic year. Mm -hmm. And that we don't always have to do the same thing. I know a lot of people feel like they need to commit to a curriculum at the beginning of the year and follow it faithfully until summer. And for me, that would limit our possibilities. There are times where somebody in the family is just immersed in something, on fire about something, and I want to be able to run with that. So even just in my own mind, knowing that I'm in a schedule like, you know, a two month kind of intensive period of we're going to study these things or read these books and everybody knows we're going to do this for a little while and then we're going to do something else. It often happens very organically without me being the one to plan the moment that we make a shift. It more is we drift into a new season. Okay,
0: so yeah, I wanted to ask you some like very practical questions about this and you just okay. answered the first one. So it's not like you kind of have these hard and fast dates set. You know, you like lay the calendar out in front of the kids at the beginning of the year and say, this is when we're going to be high tide and this is when we're going to be low tide.
1: No, no, it happens more organically. I would say that it often happens in roughly the same shape each year because when we lived in Virginia, we moved to California nine years ago. But before that, we were in Virginia. And then before that, New York, where you really have your seasons. Mm -hmm. Here in San Diego, it's very different. So in Virginia, we would do most of our kind of Charlotte Mason schooling in winter and summer. It was too hot to be outside. I mean, the kids would, you know, they would go to the pool and swim, but we really read a lot of books and we would do a big burst of math or something or a bunch of, you know, everybody's bored in the summer doldrums. So I would plan some science experiments for that chunk of time. But then come fall, when all the kids in the neighborhood are going back to school, we would be like, woohoo, we're going hiking. And we would just be burning to be outside at that time of year. Since moving here our rhythm has changed a little bit. And especially when my son started going to school, that did sort of put us on a more typical calendar where we have low tide in the summer now, because it's just too darn hot to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I having grown up a school kid myself, I always get back to school fever in you know, September, and I'm just I'm on fire to start things up then. So we almost always will spend September and October doing a lot of high tide. Mm -hmm. Typically, we used to always just put aside what we were doing. And once Advent started, that would be all like the whole holiday period would be holiday stuff. And we would be reading different books and doing different things where this year it's, it's playing out a little differently. We're just because we're in the middle of like we just got to World War One, the teens and I, and and uh, we want to see that through. <laughs> um, also, um, my seventeen-year-old is taking a couple of classes at the community college, so now she's on that more academic schedule as well. So as the kids get older, our rhythm has changed, but we still will get on fire about something. Like my fourteen-year-old is learning candy making. I mean, she's really into making candy right now. So. I want her to be able to run with that. And it's so easy to kind of loosen up the schedule a little bit and allow a lot of space for her to read and explore and try stuff out. And I get to eat it all. And it's great. (laughs) Okay,
0: so that leads to my next question. Is the entire family on the same title pattern at the same time? Or do you ever kind of let one of them?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. It used to be that we were all in the same place. But now I have big kids and little kids. And I have a pretty big split. So with my oldest in college, that means at home, I have 12th grader and a ninth grader. If they were in school, those would be their grades. And then first grader and a third grader. And then in the middle is the sixth grader who goes to school. So I have four kids that I'm homeschooling right now. And so, you know, it's like two elementary and two high school. So now it tends to be more, I will do something intensively with the older girls for a while. And, you know, we're really focusing on some subjects that they're pursuing. And that'll be high tide for them. And the little ones are somewhere between low tide and Lord of the Flies, (laughs) depending. (laughs) And then, you know, maybe the next month it's reversed and the older girls kind of have their things that they are into and they are pursuing. And I am really putting a lot of time into stuff with the younger ones. So doing high tide with the younger ones and the older ones are doing low tide, I think is a more typical uh, shape for things these days. Right.
0: And so they're aware they're aware that, you know, if they're sitting there working on World War One with mom or whatever the little ones might be doing with you at this point, Mm -hmm. they know in the back of their head that low tide is coming. And so that they're going to have that freedom to pursue. And it's going to, you know, not that I mean, you're you know, your school day takes about until noon. So it's not like they don't have the freedom anyway. Right. Right. You're going to. Well, and so let's talk about this. What are your responsibilities as the parent teacher in in title homeschooling? How does it differ from high tide to low tide? and, And what's your role?
1: When we're doing high tide, I have really put a lot of thought into what books we're going to use. And of course, using this sort of Charlotte Mason flavored living books method where I'm picking some pretty challenging reading and we're reading it out loud. Like even At the high school level, we will read a lot of that stuff out loud, not all of it, and discuss. The older girls will write narrations for me, which then just sort of naturally pulls into like academic paper writing as they get older. And the younger ones are doing oral narrations. So High Tide, I am thinking a lot about what do I want to be reading with them? And then, of course, I'm making sure that certain things happen like poetry and nature study and picture study and composer study, and foreign language. And what about Um, math? Oh, math, yes. We started early on using math, you see. My oldest daughter just loved it, loved it, and would watch it like it was Dora the Explorer when she was five years old. She loved his videos, and she was a real math kid, but that sort of set the tone. (laughs) So we often will do math, you see. And see, that's one of the ways where I'm I'm like unschoolish, but I'm not a full-on unschooler because... Math UC works for us. In my mind, unschooling is embracing any kind of learning that works for you. And Math UC works for us. So we do do that daily in high tide. And sometimes, you know, depending on the kid, they'll keep it going through low tide too. But Um, it's not
0: something you require of them during a low tide period.
1: No, but I will look for things like I, I remembered at one point when one of my daughters was not super enthusiastic about math. We had just gotten a Wii. I asked around about different games that would be good. And we got Harvest Moon, Tree of Tranquility. And watching them play, and actually I was playing it with them. I love that game. It's a, you know, a game where you're farming and you're planting your crops. And I realized there was a ton of math in that game. But it was hidden math. It was fun math. And the child who did not like doing formal, you know, sort of classroom style math, well, I don't care. There's lots of ways to learn math. She was, without us talking about it or me calling it out that you are learning math by doing this, she (laughs) was making lists of like, okay, so if I plant strawberries, the seeds are more expensive and they take longer to grow, but they're worth more money. And they regrow. And if I plant whatever, buckwheat, those seeds are cheap, but you don't earn as much and you pick it and it's gone. You only can use the seeds one time. So she was doing all of this. She was really like discussing profit margins at age, you know, whatever, nine. (laughs) And so I just let that spool out. It was wonderful. And she wound up making this whole binder full of Harvest Moon stuff and not just the crops, but also these recipes that she had to make and presents that she had to give different characters to spark, you know, like the little romances between. So you're trying to marry everybody off on this island. And (laughs) it's a sweet game. It's very cute. So that sort of thing, you know, I will totally embrace. Um, I just think there's so many ways to get to point B. It doesn't always have to be the straight line that people typically walk. Right or think of as the path to that
0: point. Well, I kind of got us off on a tangent. I want to go back to this one thing because I know that the listeners are probably really wanting to know this. So back to your role in low tide, are you strewing? Are you suggesting? Or are you just waking up and watching them and like ready to pounce? What are you doing?
1: I am strewing all the time, no matter what the tide is. I really try and pay attention to what captures somebody's interest and see how I can feed on that. So and just very casually, you know, certain books will show up on the table beside the couch or a set of Dover paper dolls, you know, where they're in costumes for some time period that somebody's interested in. Or as they get older, there's other ways, you know, movies and things. So I am always I feel like that's a big part of my job is to be mindful and thinking about what they're excited about. My husband says if I had a superpower it would be infectious enthusiasm because I get all jazzed up about stuff. But I think for my kids I try to like see what they're enthusiastic about and what can I do to provide fuel for that fire of enthusiasm. But also the flip side of it and this is so important especially for low tide to allow them a lot of space, a lot of downtime. And that's one reason why not overscheduling us. There's so many activities I would love to do, but we I just really choosy about what we will do because of wanting to allow downtime because you need that quiet thinking time or time to feel a little bored. That's where creativity comes in. I know a lot of moms have trouble with seeing their kids like not doing something productive, I hear it a lot, but again, I think along with allowing them room to make messes, you have to allow them time to do nothing, time to look completely unproductive. As a writer, I know that that's when I'm doing my best work. When I am, like, a lot of my writing happens when I am washing dishes or weeding the garden or just sitting in my chair staring into space. You know, sometimes I'll be walking down the hall and somebody will talk to me and it takes me half a minute to respond and they'll say, "Uh oh, mom's in her head. She's writing and they'll know. And my husband's the same way. So we all know that there's this like blank stare that comes. That's part of the creative process. So, part of my job as a homeschooling mom, and especially allowing these periods of low tide, is to back off and not try and make people be busy all the time and to let them be idle in a way, to let them get bored and come up with something on their own. I have a pop quiz for you. Are you ready? Uh, Okay. Okay. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Pen or pencil? Oh,
0: not easy. Okay. Fountain pen. Talker or listener? Talker? Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Cat person or dog person?
1: Do you know, I'm terrible at this because all of my answers have been, they want to be both. (laughs) Cat person is the only one that I can easily say I'm in this particular camp. I'm a cat person but I'm a listener too. I love people's stories and I like pencil. I like Prismacolor pencils specifically. <laughs> this is torture. I, I didn't mean to make your head explode. <laughs> Lord of the Rings
0: or Star Wars?
1: Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. That one was easy. Oh, that was super easy. Scott and I bonded over Lord of the Rings. That's our book. Ocean um, or Mountain? Mountains. Essay or Project? Mm. Oh, I can't choose. Um, Depends on the day. (laughs) Essay. I'll go with essay. I was going to say, you write for a living. (laughs) I know, but I like to get my hands dirty too. Melissa, could you tell everybody where they can find you online? My blog is melissawiley.com. And I have been writing coming up on, oh my goodness, 10 years now? Might be 11. Anyway, so there's a ton of stuff there. I'm Melissa Wiley on Twitter and Facebook and Periscope. I am Bonnie Glenn. On Instagram. Bonnie Glenn is the name of my blog. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was awesome. Well, thank you. This was really good. Such good questions.
0: And there you have it. I told you it was awesome. I hope you got some ideas on maybe a different way to think about your school year or even a different way to approach the idea of burnout and how your schedule might be affecting you. That's it for today. If you have left a rating or review on iTunes for the Homeschool Snapshots podcast, I just want to say thank you. It means so much to us when you do that. If you haven't done that, we would love for you to do so. So if you head on over to the show notes for this episode, that would be edsnapshots.com forward slash 24. There you can find some directions on how to leave a review if you don't know how to do that. And you'll also find links to all the great things that Melissa and I chatted about in today's show, including links to her own collection of articles on Title Homeschooling on her blog, the Bonnie Glenn. So thanks again for joining us today. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Until then, keep on homeschooling.